message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. This morning we're going to be in the Gospel of John. It's in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels. John was uh, known as the, the one that, or he considered himself the one that God, that Christ loved well. He had a very close and intimate relationship with Jesus. And this morning we're going to talk about what it means that God came with us in the second week of Advent and what it means in the aspect of how he brought love to us. Now, love is one of those things that um, we're very familiar with the word. In fact, we're almost too familiar that we kind of throw it out there about anything. We use word, the word love in just kind of very without discrimination. We just kind of throw it out there from everything to pizza and french fries to uh, soccer championships to whatever it is. that We just love these things, even to the intimacies of our family life. And so it's one of those things that we don't always just really get a good clarity when it comes to this. And then when we read the Bible, sometimes we get a little bit confused too. Uh, one of the questions I've been asked over these years of, of ministry pretty often is, why did God change from the Old Testament to the New Testament? And then I would ask them what they meant. And they said, well, you know, in the Old Testament, it seemed like God's a little cranky. He's kind of, you know, it's easy to take him off. And there's not a lot of restriction. If you go against God, then there may be a lightning bolt. You know, there's going to be instant correction. But when we come to the New Testament, we see a lot more love. And we just see this love of God. And I, I try to tell them that, you know, God is, has never changed. He, he always is love. And love doesn't just describe what he does and who he is, but, but it describes the, the fullness of God. And the Bible tells us that. God is not really angry in the Old Testament. We just see some of those things and we see the wrath of the rebellion of man and, and the wrath that God still has today about that. What The big turning point between Old Testament and New Testament is that there's a promise fulfilled. God came and he dwelt among us. Folks, God didn't have loving days and unloving days. We do. There's days that we feel very, very generous of heart. We feel very uh, lovable and very loving to others. And then there's other days that if we're really honest with ourselves, you know, especially husbands and wives, you just know, okay, this is one of those days. And you step back and you kind of give them space. God's not like that. He is consistent. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not grow and mature in love. You and I can grow and mature in love. He doesn't. He's always the same. He doesn't evolve. He's not moody. When we really begin to comprehend that, it really does allow us to look at the Old Testament a little bit different. Because like you, there's times in the Old Testament that people point, hey, why did God do this? And I'm going, you know, out of his righteousness, out of his love, out of his wrath, out of the fullness of who God is, he did these things, and they are right. Don't always understand why God did it that way, but I know that they are right. One of the questions that, uh, that I wrote for the, the life group uh, this morning was, if God is love, does that mean that everything that God does is loving? If 
God is love, if he's the fullness of love, love is just one of his characteristics, that God is love 100%, even though he's 100% wrath, he's 100% this, 100% of all these different characteristics. If he is 100% love, if that's one of his characteristics, that he does not waver in, he's not moody, he's not up and down, does that mean that everything that God does is loving? Everybody who's... You know, I realize it's a rainy morning and you're going, okay, I don't want to get that wrong. But everybody that was doing your head like this, yes. One of the applications, see, this is where we come back. And again, I always talk about good theology because good theology drives us in our reasoning on those times that we get into times that we could be come up with emotional answers rather than truthful answers. If everything that God does is loving, and we can know that because that's his very character and nature. Has there been times in your life, though, that you felt like maybe God did something that was unloving? Or something happened in your life that didn't feel like it was very loving of God? See, that's where we drive back and we begin to find the consistency in God's word where we see that it wasn't so much that God changed, that as the more that we understand about God, we find out that he was just as loving, like in the Old Testament, that he is in the New Testament. Let me give you an example. How many of you that are parents, and you don't even have to be a parent to to, to answer this question, Uh, but if you are parents, there's probably been times that your child has come to you and said, you you hate me. Why do you hate me? And it's one of those things we realize it's out of the frustration. We realize it's out of an event that has happened. And it's something that they just, we happen to disagree with them. We're not going to allow them to do a certain activity or whatever it is. And for the moment, they do not have full vision. They have tunnel vision. I wanted to do this. Mom or dad said, no, why do you hate me? Why do you want my whole life to be one of despair and gloom? Well, we grow up and we become parents ourselves. And all of a sudden we find out that, No, our parents always loved us. That even during those times that we really didn't see that they were very loving, that we didn't think that they were very loving, but we begin to understand, especially when we have kids of our own, we begin to see, no, they always loved us. Well, that kind of evolution sometimes happens in our relationship with God. That we can look at the Old Testament, we can have a lot of head-scratching times where we're going, I don't know what God's doing here. You know, he, he said, kill all the people in that community? I mean, that's still strange. That seems to be out of the character of God, and yet it is very much in the character of God. And if he is truly loving, then everything that God does is in one way loving. It can be the wrath of God, but even the wrath of God is very loving if we really understand that. Now, I'm not trying to be confusing. I, I want us to grasp this because one of the subjects that is so hard to preach on sometimes, you would think it would be the easiest subject in the world, is love. It's kind of like prayer and some of the other disciplines of the, uh, the Christian life. Because it's one of those things we've never felt like we've quite loved like we ought. Can everybody agree that for the most part, as loving as you may feel from time to time, that there's always that part of you that feels like you've never been quite as loving as you could be? And so it's one of those things that when we hear a sermon about love, our prayer, or any of the disciplines of the Christian life, most of the time what we do is we turn that back upon ourselves. We look at the man or the woman in the mirror and we go, okay, you just need to start doing better. And there's a part of that that is very, very correct and right. What We want to be more loving in this situation. 
And yet the Bible portrays a way to become more loving that kind of goes against our usual way of thinking. Most of the time, if I said, you know, if, if you're feeling that way of just wanting to be more loving, you're thinking that you're going to have to develop that yourself. And yet the Bible has told us a different way. And we'll find that this morning, John, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, uh, many of you will uh, say, okay, I, I think I know what that's about. That's that whole vine and branches, how Christ is the, the vine and we're the branches. Yeah, that's that passage. And it's talking about how our relationship and the fruit of what happens in our life is in direct correlation to our connection with him as the vine of our life. We're just branches there. And so the stronger that we're connected, vine, uh, branches and vine, the, the stronger we're going to be reflecting and be fruitful in our lives of the things that we see in Christ. And one of those is love. Now, again, we, we kind of throw that generic term around love, and we say that we love all kinds of different things. But the Greeks, and if you've been in church, you've heard this, and I'm not trying to bore you by reminding you of some of the Greek words, but, but they were very specific. They had four actual words for love that they used pretty often. Not all of those are found in the Bible. Uh, some of them are not found in the New Testament. Uh, phileo is one of those words. Phileo is uh, the, the town Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. And it's talking about, you know, just kind of that, you know, you love your friends and that you want to be kind. You want to be a good neighbor. Then there's eros. It's where, the, uh, where we kind of get the word erotic. It means the sexual love, a sensual kind of love. It's romantic. It's, uh, that's not used in the New Testament. It doesn't mean that it's a bad word. It's just it's not used because there wasn't a context in the New Testament that we really see that need. But that was one of the words that they would use if they were talking about a romantic kind of love. And then there's storge, and that's an affectionate love. That's a family love. It's kind of the love that you would have just kind of naturally. You love your kids. You love your parents. You love your brothers. and Well, you kind of love your brothers and sisters. And it's talking about that kind of love. But the love that is, the word that is used for love most often in the New Testament is the word agape. And you've heard that. Again, if you've grown up in church, you've, you're familiar with that. And it's worth repeating because this is the word that John uses in this passage repeatedly. He doesn't go back and forth to phileo and storge and, and eros. He doesn't use those. He repeatedly uses this word for agape, this word for love, agape, which is best known as God's love for us. It's committed love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that really we could say for the most part is unconditional love. Certainly God's love for us is unconditional, but, but this is what he's called us into. And this is why it's so challenging to us. Because even though we aspire to be loving people, could any of us say that we truly have an unconditional love for one another? I mean, I, the closest that I think we get, and we've, we've talked about this before, is our children. That for the most part, our children, we kind of give, extend to them this unconditional love. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, and like your spouse too, and I'm going, not really. I, I actually believe that one of the most conditional relationships that we actually have is husband and wife. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you do one bad thing. No, we can be very forgiving, but it's very conditional because they have our heart. 
as I've told people before, nobody in the world can hurt me like Carly can. Nobody can bring so much joy in an earthly relationship than Carly can. The intimacy of that, the tenderness of that, that, you know, in that relationship is a vulnerability. And with vulnerability oftentimes comes conditions. It's not like we say, okay, here's the five things. How many of y'all signed an agreement that had at least condition, ten conditions when you got married? No. Man, I love you. Well, I love you too. I think we should get married. I think we should too. How many of you were pretty foolish and, and very kind of, uh, uh, say, even kind of immature? And we're going to use that in, in your, you know, that, that kind of love that came on. You weren't thinking about 20 years down the road or 30 years down the road. You just knew that you were in love. And all of a sudden it motivated you to kind of go forward. But as your love has matured, in one way, I think that it's probably become more conditional over the years because there's more vulnerability. Does that make sense? Because it's really important for us to understand the differentiation between these different kinds of love and to really get that this agape love, God's love for us, is unconditional. Now, that's hard for me. I, I, I love theology. I am a theology nerd. You know that. And yet it's hard for me to grasp that on my best days, God loves me no more than on my worst days. Because nowhere else in this world, not even with my beloved wife, do I get that. She, she'll say, you know, I really love you today because you've been good. <laughs> And she could say, well, you, you've challenged my love today. We'll just put it that way. That sounds pastoral. <laughs> Does it really occur to you that God's love never changes for you? I mean, that's hard to grasp because nowhere else and no other relationship do we have that. And yet God's love is consistent. He is not moody. It's not just because of his side, but because he knows all of our warts. He knows all of our faults. He knows everything about us. And yet he has made this commitment, this agape love, is a committed sacrificial love. Well, here's the catch, guys. If you could call it a catch. This is the love that he's called us into to have for one another. Look what the Bible says. He, he puts in direct relationship the love that he has for us into this love that we are to have for others. The vine and the branches. The branches only produce fruit that are going to come from the nutrients and the nurture of the vine itself. John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now notice what he says in that compound sentence. He does not say, I command you to have love, to, to love one for another, and just stop. It'd be one thing if he said, okay, I just want you to be more loving. And he commands us to love. He doesn't just say, I love you. Even though it very much he, he's showing us love there. What he does is he combines these into a relationship. That, our love, that his love for us is then has this effect to give us the ability to, to, to love others. That there's a causal relationship that happens between God's love for us and our love for others. How many of you remember cause and effect back in school? If you ever did the dominoes, I can remember in physics that, you know, we were sitting there in physics and our physics teacher had set up this kind of very intricate domino 
kind of thing. And we were all excited when we come there, and we were talking about how, you know, cause and effect. And he kind of turned over that first domino, and then it went all the way up and down the, the hallway and all the way around the classroom. And it was really kind of cool, you know, that your teacher played with dominoes and that you got to see that effect. But his point was very, very simple. Without that first touch, without knocking down that first domino, the, the others were not going to fall. But once it did, it had a causal effect on every other one. When we grasp this passage, he says, this is my commandment. This is serious. It's not a suggestion. This is something that God has commanded us to do. But understand the context of that commandment, that everything is back upon what Christ has first done for us. I think that's always the challenge. Uh, John 13, verse 34 and 35. Uh, Again, both of these are in the context of just hours, if not days, before Christ going to the cross. To to put these two chapters where they happened in the life of Jesus, it's right before he goes to the cross. Okay, So these are some of the last words of Jesus. He's speaking to his disciples. These are very important words. And look what he says in John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have what? Loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, let's break that down for a second. What's one of the first words that you see? What's the second word of that verse in this translation? New. How is this a new commandment? We can go all the way back in the Old Testament, and as early as. I mean, really early, we're commanded to, to love. In Leviticus, Leviticus 19, love your neighbor. Okay, this is not new to love one another. It's not like in the Old Testament he said, okay, you just do whatever you want to with one another. And now we're in the New Testament, and he says, you know, I think this world would be better if you actually loved one another. So let's, let's try this new thing. I command you now a new commandment that we've never had before, love one another. No. In the Old Testament, he's already told us to love one another. So why is this new? And I, I realize this is a sermon, but, but feel free. We're, we're small. We're intimate to this, this morning. Why is it new? Anybody have a guess? Yeah. There, there's a new measure of love that we're gonna, that's going to be extended to us through the work of Christ, and that's what made it new. In the Old Testament, did God already love the people? Does God's love waver? Does it go up and down? No, it's consistent. But this new commandment for us to love one another is because now there's a new part of this formula, if you want to call it that, that's there, and this is going to be the finished work of Jesus Christ. This can be the example of Christ. Up to that point, there was only the promise of the example of Christ. There is a Messiah coming. The whole Advent mindset. We're waiting, we're anticipating that God's going to bring this answer through his Son. Well, now it's happened. And so when Christ says, a new commandment I give you, it's not that they had never heard to love your neighbor and to love other people and to be loving. It's new in the context that you're going to have an example before you that you've never had before. And then in the church age, we have the very Spirit of God, God's Holy Spirit that dwells with us, that gives us this ability This is the foundation of this whole commandment. 
not just in this newness, but in this ability. Throughout the New Testament, we're very seldom, if ever, going to see a command to love one another, to show the love of people, without a connection to Christ's love. It's almost always automatically there. Let me give you a couple examples. Most of from from John, because he wrote a lot about love. But he wrote in 1 John, it's near the end of his life. Life hasn't been super sweet. It's a time when Christians are now really coming under a lot of attacks from people from within the church, also with, from outside of the church. And listen to how John begins to connect and have this causal relationship of the love of Christ and then from that the call to go love others. First John 2.9 Whoever says that he's in the light and hates his brother is what? They're still in darkness. John, John was real simple about things. He said, okay, you, you claim to be a Christian, you claim to be uh, you know, this great follower of Christ. If you don't love your brother, if you don't love the other people as Christ loves, you're really not in the light. 1 John 3.10 By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not show uh, does not love his brother. He, he puts in there, he said, okay, if you're a follower of God, it's going to be evident in two things that you do. Number one, you're going to follow what God says to do, his commands. And one of those commands is the way that you love one another. A direct connection between what God has called us to do and what we actually do. 1 John 4, verse 11, 10 and 11. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, what? Yeah. Now, again, some of you are going, Bobby, that's pretty elementary. I've heard this since I was this tall. I'm supposed to love other people. And you'd be correct, and you'd be right. And it will keep on being elementary. But it will be wrong if you think that you're supposed to become a more loving person. The secret of this love is that we come back to this example in the love of Christ. That we come back to one who has shown us what true love is. So many times, guys, we get into this trap that what God called us to is a more mature version of our old self. And is that biblical? It's not. And he says, no. I take out your old heart and I put in a whole new heart. Your old life is gone. Behold, all things become new. And one of the hard things for us sometimes to grasp when it comes to the different commandments of the Bible, the moralities of the Bible, is that this is no longer just you and I trying to become better people, but it truly is that we become more intimate in this relationship with God. Thus, John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Is that intimacy? You go ask a branch. Life depends on being connected to the vine. That's where the nutrients come from. That's where all your oxygen, I mean, that's where everything comes from. All the the water, all that's going to come through the connection. So there's great intimacy there. And in that intimacy becomes that all of a sudden the fruit that grows on the branch is coming from the vine 
and it really wasn't produced by the branch. You cut that branch off, it's not going to produce fruit. Folks, not trying to be confusing. Trying to really pull out something I think that oftentimes we struggle with. I mean, as a pastor, I, I want to be a very loving person. And I, I'll promise you, seven out of ten times, I mean, I'm just pulling a number out. What I'm expecting out of myself is to become a more loving person. That somehow you just grit your teeth harder. Have you ever come upon a person that you're called to love and they're just unlovely? By attitude, by demeanor. I'm not talking about looks. I'm talking about by attitude and demeanor. They're just. Have you ever worked with a person who was just hard to love? And yet God calls us to love in the way that he would love. And so what we end up doing a lot of times is that we just try to say, okay, I'm just going to hold my breath. I'm just going to grip my teeth. I'm just going to try to, you know, muscle my way through this. And that's not the Christian love. It's probably wise to do. You know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, holding your tongue if you really want to say, well, I will just tell her. I would just give him a piece of my mind. Uh, let's be honest, some of us don't have enough mind to give a pieces away, okay? <laughs> so it's one of those things that, you know, this isn't what God has asked us to do. It's just, okay, dig down, hold your tongue, smile, and, and it'll be a better... That's probably wise to do in one sense, rather than to let everybody know exactly how you feel. But what I'm telling you is it's not the biblical way. This is not the call of Christ, Two implications of this, and then we'll close this morning, this passage. First implication. Christ's love serves, serves as the well that we draw from. He's not asking Tracy, he said, okay, Tracy, I just want you to mature in this, your ability to, to be better at loving other people. No, he says, you come to the well. Come to the well that I loved you with and, and get out your bucket and you, you let it down deep and you draw from that water. Do you have that picture in your mind? Because a lot of times what we're doing is just trying to grit through life, and especially those unloving situations that can develop. And that's not what he's called us to. What he said is, if he's linking together his love for us with the love that we are to extend to others, he said, I'm the well that you draw from. Next time you get into an unlovely situation, and you get into a situation with somebody who's acting unlovely, who has attitude, keep, keep that mind, keep that, that picture, that, okay, God, i got my bucket, and I'm coming to you, and I'm going to lower my bucket so that you can, you know, that I can draw from the love that you gave to me. Because his love is consistent. It's always 100%. It's not moody. It's not up or down. It's not, consistent, uh, it's, it's not uh, considerate of, of if this person or that person. So the first thing we see there, first and foremost, is that this is the love that Christ has for us. And as branches, uh, we don't produce anything. We just let the natural flow that's coming in from the vine out to us. And this is the illustration that God uh, uses there. I, I would say that the way that this is set up in God's Word, that a test of our connectiveness with Christ is the way that we love one another. Not the test of, are you a really good person or not? No, if it's testing anything, it's not testing, are you a good person? It's testing, how connected are you to Jesus Christ? 
Have you ever loved the unlovely and you were surprised? Doesn't happen often. But has God ever given you a love for somebody that really, in reality, you shouldn't have had uh, under normal human circumstances? That all of a sudden, he just gave you a heart and a compassion and, and this uh, uh, feeling to, to love on this person who wasn't all that lovable. That's what it's talking about here. And he didn't say, okay, you just became this loving person that you just matured so much. No, he said, you found that I was your source and, and I've produced a love for you, for them, that, that, you know, that, that you wouldn't have had on your own. But there's a second implication. Not only Christ's love serves as the well that we draw from, but Christ's love serves as the measure by which we love. Look again at John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. How many of y'all have heard that verse before? Have you, how many of you have heard that verse in the context of a police officer or some other person who was doing their duty, a soldier or somebody who on behalf of somebody else was going out there and they were showing by the demonstration of their sacrifice of their own life that this was very loving. I think it's very appropriate that this verse can be in context of that. In in the ultimate context, what God is calling us to do as Christians is not just because we're police officers or we're soldiers or we're firemen and we're willing to go into the fiery building and rescue somebody because we're a fireman. That's admirable and that's wonderful and it's good. But this call is really extended to every single Christian. That the measure by which we can really see our connectedness to, to Christ's love in our own life is how we love others. And it's a measure of sacrifice. And that sacrifice sometimes will be your own pride, your own comfort. The sacrifice that Christ gave to us, was it based on merit or not on merit? Besides your sin, what else did you bring to the table to, to, to earn God's love or, or to, to generate any merit for, for a response from a holy God? Well, that's what the kind of love he's given to us, really this non-merited love. It wasn't because of something that we've done or even something that God could get. Now he extends, he says, okay, this is the kind of love that you're supposed to have for other people. That's really hard, guys. By the same measure of God's love for us, to, to be able to, you know, to do that and not just become that better person, but truly because of our intimacy with God and because of our connection with him that we come and we begin to, to love in just a more pure way. We love not on conditions. Uh, again, if we want to go back to marriage, it, it is probably one of the most conditional relationships there is. We can say, I love you unconditionally, and yet truth is there's a lot of times that we are more loving in even our relationships in a, a marriage because of the merit that they're you know, bringing. Because they did something that was very loving. Now, instead of basing his love on us on merit. You know what Christ based his love on us, the, the show of his love? Need. What need did you bring to the cross? And again, we're a small crowd. You can say it out loud if you want to. Yeah. I mean, 
we had sin in our life. We were estranged from a holy God. If we didn't bring merit, we brought need. And when God measures out his love for us, he didn't say, okay, I give you this love because you're merited in this, and this is what you did to merit love, and so I will give you this amount of love. No, we brought need, and he said, okay, this is the love that, you, that will fulfill your need. Well, let's translate that into relationships. I mean, it's easy to kind of focus on, okay, that person brings no merit whatsoever to my life, and yet I need to be loved. But what need do they bring to your life? Uh, in, in counseling over these years, there's a phrase that comes up a whole bunch in counseling. There's always a reason why people do what they do. It doesn't have to be a good reason. It doesn't have to be a truthful reason. It doesn't have to be a biblical reason. But there's always a reason why people do what they do. Would you agree with that? I mean, it can be selfishness. It can be out of their core nature. It can be all kinds of things. But there's always a reason. In other words, there's a need in people's lives. And when people just kind of come in and they're really short with you and they're really this, that, and the other, there's a need in their life. And you might be, yeah, they need Jesus. They really might need Jesus, guys. I mean, we kind of throw that around sometimes in kind of this joking way. But how many people that you know that are just not happy people, they're kind of angry, they're not fun to be around, and they just need Jesus? And Jesus says, look, you're already connected to me. This is, this is why I want you to love others. Because I've already shown you this love. You received my love. Now you're connected to me. The, the vine and the branches were connected. You've already come to the well. You've already drawn water of this unconditional. Now I want you to t- draw this water. And I want you to go out there because there's a lot of need out there. Some of the most frustrating people that we will ever be around are truly the people that just have deep, deep needs. And a lot of times it is a need for Jesus Christ. And folks, that's not being judgmental. Well, I don't have that. No. As I've shared with you before, it's simply a beggar who found bread telling another hungry beggar, hey, here's where I found bread. There's nothing pious. There's nothing uppity. There's nothing special. You're a beggar and you found bread. Why would you not tell another beggar where you found that bread? really simplistic. Here's the bottom line. If we are to reflect this kind of love that God has brought to us, and if we are to really carry out this new commandment that we have, even though we've already been commanded to love one another in the Old Testament, the newness came in this example of Christ. And in this example, in this call of this new commandment to to love one another. Now we have a well to go to and now we have a measure to be able to to, to measure by, to be able to say, okay, how how much love should I give to this person? What's appropriate just to kind of get me by? No, we just put down in that well and we show the same kind of love to others that Christ has shown to us. Now here's the hard part of this sermon. We will walk from here in about three or four minutes, maybe about five minutes after the song. And because we've heard so much about love and we've always talked about how God has called us to love one another, it can really kind of go in one ear and out the other. You can say, well, you know, I'm familiar with that scripture. But here's what I, I, I pray 
that you have learned and what I have learned today because it has been a lifelong lesson and I have not uh, in any means been able to, to, to find full maturity in this. Whenever I get this feeling that somebody needs to be loved, I, I just think that Bobby Linkus needs to be a better lover, needs to be better and more giving and loving. And I forget that I am a branch connected to a vine who is the deep source of unconditional agape love and that that's what God has actually called me to do is simply to be a a transfer agent of the love that he has for me and that I just kind of reflect that out there. But if you don't have a full grasp of how God loves you in this unconditional nature, this is where that good theology comes into practice, guys. When we understand the amazing grace by which we've been saved, we are going to become graceful people, I promise you. And the less that we really understand, well, I didn't need that much grace because I'm a pretty good person. My parents raised me. No, when we understand the amazing part of grace that God has extended to us, we will become graceful people. Why? Because it's a humility that comes to us. And when we understand that this isn't just you and I becoming better at loving, biting our lip, not saying the thing that really is kind of generated in our mind and our heart, and that we just simply go to the well and go, okay, in the same way that you have loved me, God, will you allow me now to, to pour out this love into this person's life by the same measure based on their need and not on their merit? I could probably preach this last sermon, I mean this last verse in every sermon that I, Dustin, what, you, what do you think it might be? Romans, it could be maybe Romans 5.8. Dustin and I have known each other a long time. He knows that's my life verse. But listen to what this says. Romans 5, I'm going to start back in verse 7 and then verse 8, then we'll close. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Talking about our humanity. If you merited it, I I might die for you if you really merited it. It's the first word of verse 8. But. But God shows his love for us and that why we were yet sinners. In other words, there was no merit whatsoever. Christ died for us. That's the well we go to, God. In the second week, when we begin to, to, to think about the amazing love of God, I pray that this morning, that as you go through this Advent week and as you think about uh, what we've talked about this morning, that you will be overwhelmed with God's love for you. Overwhelmed. Because if you're overwhelmed with God's love for you, guess what you're nat- you know, supernaturally going to start doing? You're just going to start loving others. You're, just going, to, you're going to do that more. When you know grace, you extend grace. When you know love, then you extend love. And it wasn't because all of a sudden you hit some kind of human maturity. It's because all of a sudden the very Spirit of God within you ignites with the truth of God. And we get it. I love when spiritual lights go off in our head. I just hate that sometimes it happens at 54, 55, 56, and you're going, you know, this should have happened at 13. Life could have been a lot better if this light would have gone off at 13. So no matter what age you are, I just pray that that light goes off. God hasn't called for you personally to try harder to love. 
<laughs> if you're connected to me, if my very spirit lives within you, come to my well, the one that I loved you with. Measure by what I've done to you. You go love that way. I promise you, folks, all, all of a sudden we'll find out that those people that are the most hungry in our lives, the most hard to get along with, that God gives us truly a supernatural love for them. Let's pray together today. Father, in this uh, season, it's easy for us to uh, aspire to love better. Father, that is admirable. That is biblical. It's right for us to just be more loving people. And yet, Father, the way that we would do that, sometimes we just rely on ourselves to become that much more disciplined. So, Father, I pray that you help us to, to grasp this morning what this... Your word says, Father, repeatedly throughout your word, you've always equated this commandment to go love others upon the love that you have demonstrated to us. You've never told us to go out there and kind of self-generate love. And so, Father, we first and foremost overwhelm us, our mind and our heart, with how much you've loved us. That you loved us so much that you left the glory of heaven and you came and you dwelt among us. That you left where the angels were proclaiming how great you are and how wonderful you are and and just that that you're God. And you came to an earth where people would spit upon you and, and curse you and mock you and eventually kill you. Father, you did all these as, as just a a demonstration of this incredible love that you have for us. So, Father, help us to grasp how deep and wide this love is so that we can go out there and deeply and widely love those that you've placed in our lives. Father, we thank you that you are this source. And we love you and thank you for all that you've done as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.